electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm John Fort. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, my conversation with Pat Gelsinger, CEO of VMware, about how the coronavirus pandemic is changing the future of how and where we work. We spoke at CNBC's At Work Spotlight virtual event held on June 18, 2020. Throughout the conversation, you'll hear me ask some questions that were submitted by our attendees. Take a listen. To start off, kind of framing what we're going through in the context of the future of work, you've made uh, one of the boldest statements I've heard so far from a CEO uh, about how things are, are, are going to change, how VMware is going to change out of this, how the workplace is no longer going to be a, a hotel of office spaces, and it's going to be more a gathering place uh, where, where people come together to do stuff that you can only do together. Uh, is that still your thinking? And uh, what are the changes that you're going to have to make internally, allocation of resources, culture messaging to make that happen? Yeah. And, you know, let's a little bit of context for it, John. You know, before COVID, we were t- almost 20% work from home. And now we're 97% work from home and distributed uh, workforce. And, you know, everybody is having to address that like we are. And the question then is what happens on the other side of this? And clearly what we've seen is hmm, we've been pretty productive this way, right? You know, product deliverables, customer support, all of our metrics in terms of uh, how our customers are using our products. This is pretty good. We, we, we still find, in fact, many of our customers you know, have said every metric of efficiency is equal or better in this period of time. And then you sort of say, well, maybe this is a better way of working. And in many respects, you know, less commuting, less carbon footprint, you know, uh, people have more discretionary time as they're not spending an hour or two on the day. You know, maybe they live closer to family. We have more access to diverse and distributed uh, workforces and we don't cluster them around major urban settings. You know, so we're just saying, what does this next view or work 2.0 as we've termed it internally look like? As I said, you know, I think on the other side of this, we maybe triple the amount of persistent work from home. People who are spending more than 50 percent of their time in the distributed workforce on an ongoing basis. We've already started to redesign a couple of our buildings with this in mind, as I said, you know, from office hotels to hubs of collaboration and what that looks like when the majority of the space in the offices becomes collaborative space. You know, maybe we don't need some of those small remote offices. We want people to come together in the larger hubs of innovation, but maybe a day a week, maybe a week a month. They're in those locations. So a very big shift and then making sure we have all the collaboration tools and the things in place that make this as productive. And then we got to learn some of the new norms of this environment as well. Some of those tribal aspects of working remotely. And what do you do about where people live? Because right now, people are already sort of located 
where they are, their homes are where they are, based on having to be in the office. But I can imagine, you know, five, ten years from now, somebody might say, well, you know, I want to live in Albuquerque or I want to live in Boise. Mm-hmm. Um, d- does that mean that you have to have sort of hotel scenarios where people can come in for that week a, a month and be closer to a headquarters location? Does that mean you start to index salaries, perhaps, and benefits based on cost of living in the location where a person is? Yeah, I believe there's going to be some amount of all of that needs to be worked through as people uh, adjust. But, you know, if somebody says, boy, I can be closer to family, I can have a a better cost of living environment associated with me, and I just need to think about getting to the office a day or a week, a month, I think that gives them a lot more flexibility. And we're putting at the high order bit, right, employee choice, where they're going to get to decide. And hey, you know, some people like living in the city and not having a car and, you know, walking to restaurants. Great. We're going to support that. But we're also going to say, hmm, if people do want to be able to live more remotely, we're going to enable those kind of environments because we expect that we're going to be here a while. You know, uh, you know, vaccines and you know, therapeutics still have a long way to go. So we're going to settle into this new model of working. And we're finding it works pretty good. And with that, you know, instead of viewing it as, oh, we got to get back to what it was, let's embrace this and move faster to the future. We do expect that with that probably come some adjustments. And well, if you're living in a lower cost of living location, hey, you know, uh, there may be salary adjustments, but there may be other benefits as well. And uh, we're doing per diems for, you know, work from home locations for equipment at the desktops and you know, offsets for Internet access. So all of those put together, you know, mm. it probably doesn't change the cost of labor all of that much. But I think the quality and the reach of the personnel that we can have as part of our team, I think goes up pretty substantially. You mentioned something that uh, I was hoping we'd get to anyway, and that's uh, the connectivity. Does this change the way VMware values connectivity uh, because it's going to be essential for work? Uh, The way you you value broadband, the way you value 5G coming up, do, do you start paying for home uh, connectivity in some cases because you need to be able to guarantee it, not just that people have it, but exactly what level of it that that they're going to have because their job is going to require it. Yeah, and we've already uh, rolled out a program where we'll give people so much per month for their Internet access. Uh, My connection right now is I have AT&T and Comcast coming to my home, and it sits behind one of our SD-WAN VeloCloud boxes to give me quality of service and security in my home environment. And I think this idea of higher bandwidth, more resilient uh, connectivity, and obviously this is core to us. It's what I call one of the three big ones for us, end-user computing, managed devices, carbon black secure devices, and VeloCloud give them quality of service as sort of the three of a work from home package, as we've called it. And those together, I think everybody needs it in this environment as well. And it's better. Boy, why shouldn't I be resilient at home with higher quality of service? And I also think it does point to the future of 5G, enterprise 5G, where these connectivity services become more important for humanity. I'll tell you, John, I was just stunned. I just couldn't believe this. Um, when you know this crisis hits, schools are closed, and all of a sudden we're having the discussions that I thought we had a decade ago about inner city broadband, where kids couldn't have regular access. They couldn't be participating in schoolwork because of broadband availability. So hopefully we finish some of those tasks 
that I really thought were sort of done a decade ago, where everybody has broadband access, everybody is on a pathway to 5G. We increasingly have enterprise and private private 5G as core enabling uh, technologies. And obviously we want to have our part in helping to make that come true. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Wesley Tilly from from our audience is asking, how do we solve the rural issues of lack of of usable broadband? You know, there there was an urban demographic issue that we were talking about there. There's a rural issue also. And and David Michael also is asking, will the idea of having a dedicated company office go away in the future? My, My sense from talking to you is that you don't think the office itself goes away, but the purpose of of the office changes. So kind of two things to address there. One, does uh, kind of urban access to existing broadband and rural availability of broadband become even more of an economic development issue in in the scenario that we're uh, heading into? And, And how much does the office change? Yeah. So on the first one, you know, I believe and I've probably spoken to uh, 15 senators, 20 representatives uh, in the last uh, three weeks or four weeks. And this idea of 5G, you know, there's obviously huge geopolitical issues with respect to China and Huawei. You know, this is getting increasing bipartisan commitment to drive change in the U.S. There's bills in the House. There's bills in the Senate. Right. There's an FCC uh, rural uh, bill that's uh, underway, a rip and replace bill. All of these are gaining momentum. And I believe that as we get to the later phases of some of the CARES Act, that as they look to phase four, some of these things are going to gain momentum uh, and uh, get across the line to help fund some of these initiatives. We're also seeing increasing efforts on the part of the carriers, the key technology providers like uh, VMware to help get those things in place more rapidly. So I'm very optimistic that over the next two years, some of these rural broadband, inner city broadband, 5G driven by software standards or uh, technologies like Open RAN, ORAN are going to make a big difference in the availability of access services, high bandwidth services, also campuses being able to do their own 5G networks, rural cities taking a more active role in building out their environment. So I'm an optimist that now is the time and we've seen so many things come together in this period of time that I do believe we're going to get them over the line in uh, Congress in the near future, as well as the steps on the part of the industry. With respect to the campus itself, you know, as I've looked at it and as we've talked about our activities and with other uh, companies, I think small remote campuses probably sort of say, hmm, why do I need those? Right. You know, if people in a small location need to get together, go to Starbucks and come together. What I really want them to do is come to my hubs and my major centers become much more of these collaboration events 
where teams are planning, they're uh, building their tribal customs, they're participating with each other in social activities, and really having innovation centers where you know we're doing innovation sprints together. And so I expect the main campuses play an even more important role uh, for us going forward. But I do expect a lot of the remote, smaller ones. Hmm. I'm not sure we need that kind of setting uh, in the future when work from home has demonstrated such efficacy and efficiency. You mentioned China, and um, and that's a, a lot of Washington's focus in, in the conversation about 5G. How much of the uh, sense of kind of global competition around 5G technologies and 5G adoption and security do, do you think is really important to look at and legitimate? Uh, how much of it do you think is going to be handled by software providers like yourself that are going to have technologies layered on top of, of 5G networks that are trying to provide security regardless of the equipment that it's running on top of? Well, the broadest sense, and you know, I'm a member of the NSTAC, the National uh, Security Technology Advisory Committee. In fact, we just had a meeting earlier today, John, uh, on this topic. And there's, to, to me, there's a very simple formula, right? If the technologies of the future emphasize software, silicon, and cloud, the U.S. will be advantaged. If they're built on hardware, proprietary systems, we're not doing very well, particularly as it pertains to the communications and 5G technologies. So, you know, we're clearly arguing that all of our policies, all of our investments, all of the defense and intelligence decisions need to emphasize these three, software, silicon, and cloud. That's the route for the U.S. to be restored and for long-term leadership on this topic. With that in mind, you know, we're participating, but many others are, I think, rallying around this simple uh, formula that I think positions the United States well. But it is a critical period of time. I think most estimates would say that China will have 10x the number of radio, 5G radio access points deployed at the end of this year than the U.S. will. 10x. You know, it's a pretty enormous step that they've taken forward, and it feels like their economic, industrial, technology policies are pretty focused on these efforts. So I believe it is a very critical period of time. Uh, we're clearly seeing bipartisan support, independent of the elections. I think there's good momentum uh, on this uh, topic. And we're certainly anxious to do our part, not just because of the U.S., because it's the right way for technologies to evolve. And to some degree, I compare it to uh, data centers of risk and vertical architectures before the x86 standard, John. And when that emerged, then, boy, every data center became virtualized and became scalable and more efficient. And that gave the benefits of clouds to emerge. This is doing exactly the same thing for telecommunications and the radio access networks a decade and a half later. It simply is the right side of the technology future. And if you're on the right side of the waves of technology, you do pretty well. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. When we first met, you and I, you were CTO at Intel. Must have been 15, maybe a little bit more than 15 years ago. And you've been in position where you needed to hire and develop uh, a technical workforce kind of as your direct responsibility. I think right now uh, with the social protests that are going on in the, in the country, uh, a lot of technology leaders, when they think about the future mm-hmm. of work and the future of their workforce, they're going to face pressure uh, to diversify the workforce. They're going to be wondering how they do it. Are there either uh, resources or policies that you found to be more or less effective uh, in doing that? What is VMware doing now as you look at uh, diversifying the technical ranks uh, of your workforce? Yeah, and I just say these these types of topics are, you know, they're so insidious and long-term and, you know, my heart goes out to those who've been affected uh, by it. And, you know, a variety of comments, uh, John, uh, one is uh, simply, we just got to put more focus here. Just very, very simple, right? Uh, since uh, uh, the founding of our nation, since the Civil War, since the uh, civil rights uh, marches, we simply have never addressed this view that every human is of equal and infinite value. And uh, with that, we just got to put more to it. I'm proud of the steps that many CEOs are taking, and I want to be seen as part of that uh, group that are taking them. The technology fields, I'd say it's clearly we have to do steps like we've done uh, in the area of gender issues, where we clearly had major biases toward male from female. And we said, hey, we're going to put a hiring, every hire must have a valid female right, candidate, right? Not that we picked them but they must have a valid candidate and you're not done with the hiring process until you have had one through the interview. What we're saying, we're gonna have a female and a black person in that interview candidate. Every position has to be considered that way. We also see that we have to take steps in universities uh, where, uh, hey, we have to be engaging more research activities, intern programs. You know, and I always just love interns, right? You come in, you work them hard all summer long, and then you hire the good ones. Well. Let's just bring in a lot more Mm -hmm. from the uh, black and the underrepresented community and make them a much more conscious, focused and deliberate piece of our intern programs as well. You know, clearly you have to look at all of the things there where there's micro inequities, as we've talked about. But we've sort of focused those on the gender topics, not as much on the racial topics. And I believe we need to rethink about many of those programs and put emphasis in those areas. And those are just a few examples, John, but I would hope that, and, you know, as I ended on all hands for our company uh, last week, you know, th- my simple phrase would be that their deaths would not be in vain, that we truly could make a step that we would all be proud of looking back a decade from now in this period of time. All right. Uh, some use of the 
Rooney rule there that I think is, is really interesting and want to follow up on. Let me slip in this last one. Um, it's a question from David Michael, and it is uh, goes as follows. With office networks, IT departments had strong control over cybersecurity. Now that everyone's using their home networks and devices, how well are enterprises securing their systems and data? Yeah, I believe this is a key, key issue. It's a great uh, question. Uh, the, the fact that uh, to some degree, maybe you went from having, uh, you know, if you're a CISO, maybe you essentially had 100 sites and all of a sudden you have 10,000 sites as everybody's working from home, right? Because essentially your security perimeter has now become that distributed workforce. And, you know, there's an area we've seen a number of attacks. We've seen, uh, you know, we just had a report that uh, we uh, uh, partnered uh, with and uh, published just uh, a day or two ago that had, you know, essentially a tripling of uh, attacks that have occurred in this period of time. So I think fundamentally, it's a fantastic question. Uh, it's one that I think every CISO is going to be aggressively looking at in this period of time. Uh, third, obviously, our carbon black technology is critical, a component of our response to this, uh, as we believe that we have to bring together the client experience and management and security need to become integrated and hand in hand in how you address that profile. Any, any device that gets attached to your network has to be managed, has to be secured. Otherwise, it can't be part of your internal network and part of your operations. And clearly, as this work from home settles in to become a more systemic part of how every business uh, operates in the future, I believe that you're, everyone will have to look at that from the lens of, am I enabling my remote workforce to be efficient? Am I enable them to be productive? And am I making them secure? And I believe those lenses need to be put. And for that, you're going to have to say, do they have good, reliable bandwidth? And you know, maybe I need to put a VeloCloud <laughs> into that solution. Have I given them tools that allow them to be very productive? Huh, maybe there are new collaboration capabilities and new tools that we need to put in place for them. But ultimately, hmm, I have to make them secure. You uh, name-checked VeloCloud and, and Carbon Black a bit. <laughs> uh, Henry Ng was, was asking what other VMware technologies you think will help to generate more profits in the home office. I think you answered that question. I just want to finish with the question uh, on the future of work. Is there mm -hmm. a, a trend or technology, but more so a general trend, that you think is going to have an impact on the future five, we'll say five, but I'm thinking five plus years out, that's perhaps being under-considered. You know, if, if I were to look back uh, five years, I think there are some things that have had a big impact, uh, are having a big impact right now that were perhaps discounted five years ago. Are there things right now mm -hmm. that we should be thinking more about that are going to have an impact um, uh, on how we work, but perhaps are not getting the hype? Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I would just point to is, you know, and I've probably talked to John something in the order of 250 CEOs uh, since this uh, crisis has occurred uh, and different perspectives from them, you know, what they're doing, how they're addressing the environment. To a person, they've almost said that they've been pleasantly surprised with how efficient they've been able to be. Sort of like, hmm, that's pretty interesting. But the other aspect is, is how quickly the IT systems responded in areas that you wouldn't necessarily say are the high-tech domains of the uh, planet. You know, a technology company being able to work from home, 
Okay, not too surprising. But schools, hospitals, uh, you know, public uh, uh, servants, all of those being able, that's been impressive. Now, I've used this phrase that sometimes it takes a decade to make a week of progress. Other times you make a decade of progress in a week. And I think the systemic changes in different industries are the ones that I'm particularly motivated by. You know, the impacts of brick and mortar education. Wow, I think universities are gonna collapse unless they embrace this. And when they embrace this idea of distributed remote learning, every human on the planet has become a potential student of their institution. Embracing it in healthcare. Why haven't we done telemedicine before? It's just a better way to do medicine in many, many uh, aspects. But we have all these barriers and insurance and payments and all this other crap that's prevented us from really moving forward. So to me, it's not so much the technology enabling, but it's one of those dislocative things that now become possible in different industry sectors that truly enable a highly distributed work from home, more diverse environment, lower carbon footprint, and making sure that those things don't roll back as we come to the other side of this crisis and making sure that we embrace and move those industries forward. That's the areas that I'm excited about. And I hope as the different listeners are on here, you know, they're saying, hmm, how can I truly make this a future differentiated for my place of work in the in- industry that I'm participating in? That was Pat Gelsinger, CEO of VMware, speaking to me at CNBC's virtual at work spotlight on June 18th, 2020. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For more information on our upcoming events and how you can join us, please visit cnbcevents.com. I'm John Fort. Thanks for listening. Take care. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.